what is Travis Barker's rate? That's a genuine question because I feel like I get on this podcast and every week or every other week, I talk about a song that features Travis Barker. I understand that Blink-182 aren't doing anything anytime soon, but holy shit, he still keeps himself busy. And it's not even in the realm of pop punk. Like, he was on songs with Atreyu and Escape the Fate this year. He did essentially a whole album for Trippy Red. He's on two songs that I'm talking about on this episode. I want to say he did some work on the Modson album from a couple of months ago, but I'm not really sure. And, and granted, he's collaborating with artists who could definitely afford to pay whatever he's asking for. But still, it's like... It almost doesn't feel like an episode of this show if I'm not talking about at least one song that features Travis Barker in some capacity. And why did he even need to be on an Escape the Fate song? They have a drummer. We're just giving money to Travis Barker now. I almost said Travis Scott there instead of Travis Barker. Anyone get the new Travis Sixes? Those shits look like potato sacks. But if someone offered me a pair in my size for a good price... I, I'd probably get them because I have no self-respect when it comes to sneakers. Anyway, hi, I'm Artisan, or Carlos, or whatever you know me as. And this is Ulterior But Make It A Podcast, episode 10. I made it to double digits for no fucking reason. Y'all really let me sustain a podcast for three months and ten episodes. Y'all know what else y'all did? On last week's episode, y'all let me get really fucking excited over The Devil Wears Prada to the point where I mistakenly called their EP Zombies instead of Zombie. It's fucking singular, not plural. I just kept saying Zombies over and over again without realizing it because I was genuinely happy to talk about the EP and new song. That was fucked up. Don't ever let me do that again. So, just some more stuff to get through before I get into the reviews. We have tour news. People actually announced tours, and the small, marginal optimist in me wants to think that these have chances at happening safely and within reason. Machine Gun Kelly has the Tickets My Downfall tour this fall with Carol's daughter, Jaden, and Kenny Hoopla. Also in the fall are Beartooth's headliner with support from Wage War and Dragged Under, as well as Gojira's headliner with support from Knocked Loose and Alien Weaponry. This feels really strange to see after what is now a year plus of bands having to stay off the road. I know MGK did play a show recently, sold out in Jacksonville, which I, I, I don't know if that was exactly wise, but... It happened, so nothing I can say now matters. And I fully expect more bands to announce tours in the near future. I know someone from Fit for a King said that they will be touring this year. And just to reiterate, I only said that I hope these shows can happen. I didn't say they will or that they should no matter what. Obviously, COVID is ongoing and we don't know where the number for the vaccinated population will be in September. So tours being announced now only hold slightly more weight to their legitimacy than they would have months ago. I'll stay up to date on everything happening with tours and then circle back to this show every week if something changes. The last bit of news I wanted to get into deals with Blood and Honey by Kane Hill. 
I saw a lot of excitement on the TL for this song, and I have no doubt that it's good. I, I really like Kane Hill, and from what I understand that this song sounds like, it explores areas that I know everyone in that band can venture fluidly. And if it sounds like I'm talking as if I haven't heard the song, it's because I actually haven't. It's not on Spotify or any streaming services as of now, and, and that's probably a weird reason to not listen to the song or review it when I can just go to YouTube and listen to it. But it was just a personal decision because I can't add Blood and Honey to any playlist connected to this platform on Spotify. So in that realm, it would feel like this song doesn't even exist. I did make an exception a while back for Eat by Poppy, but then I decided to just not review her newest song, Say Cheese, for the same reasons I'm not talking about Kane Hill today. Whenever the song is added to Spotify, I'll be reviewing it for sure. Alright, so now, let me try to get through these 40 singles in as efficient of a manner as possible. Atreyu have a new song out called Catastrophe, and this is from their new album Baptize, which is out on June 4th. This is the third single from that record, and the prior two were pretty fucking bad in my opinion. I, I did not like those songs whatsoever. So my assumption going into Catastrophe was that it would sound like what its name suggests, and then the song just proceeded to shut me the fuck up because, holy shit, I really, really liked it. It's heavy and catchy in the right spots. The second chorus in particular felt like as high of a point as I've heard Atreyu reach in such a long time. I, I was so happy with how Catastrophe turned out, but then I had to resume my cynical ways and remember that there were two other singles from this band that I didn't fuck with in the slightest. So this does not mean that I'm going to be favorable toward Baptize when it drops in a month, but it does at least mean that I'm getting a song from the record that I will keep listening to. One week after releasing the enjoyable shitpost that was Kawaii Cowboys, Attack Attack released Brachuria Bombshell. This is a full-length song from the band, their first since All My Life, which is already almost half a year old, I believe. There are a lot of things I can say about the Attack Attack comeback, and truthfully, sometimes I still don't know how to feel about it, but sticking to just the topic of Bracuria Bombshell, I thought this song was great. It honestly, to me, sounds like what the band would have just naturally progressed toward had they not disbanded back in 2012 or 13 or whatever it was. Like, it has some sonic characteristics to their Crabcore stuff along with This Means War, which was more in line with modern metalcore than anything else. I thought the instrumental sounded clean. Chris Parketney, whose identity I did have to find out with a Google search prior to recording this, did such a good job on vocals. Like, he's a natural fit for what Attack Attack are pursuing right now. Overall, this was a successful song from Attack Attack, and when really thinking about it, Maybe this whole comeback is a success. At least in the sense that I can't find anything I particularly dislike about any of their three songs so far. Awake at Last released a new single called Armageddon. I don't think this is attached to anything as of right now, although I hope it is soon because this was really fucking cool. I, I don't know a ton about Awake at Last. I, I, I know I heard their album, The Change, because I recognize the artwork, but I guess I don't have that much retention of what it sounded like. So I treated Armageddon like it was my first experience with Awake at Last, and they absolutely did not disappoint. Really impactful chorus that sees vocalist Vincent 
actores show off his capabilities that have an almost theater-like effect at one point. I'm not really sure how to, else to explain this, but it was a really surprising element to the song that helped the hook stick with me long after my initial listen. And this is probably just because I'm in the middle of re-watching the show right now, but the lyrical content of the song made it easy for me to visualize an Attack on Titan AMV with Armageddon playing. A really, really cool track. I, I liked this one a lot. Billie Eilish, who I believe is the biggest artist I've talked about yet, dropped a new single to her album on July 30th called Happier Than Ever. The song is Your Power, and holy shit, this was fucking massive. The song is almost entirely acoustic, so it's definitely a departure from what was heard on her other two singles, Therefore I Am and My Future. This song is fucking heart-wrenching to listen to because its subject matter is something that so many people, and in the specific case of this song, a woman, have had to endure, and in the alternative music scene, there have been so many public cases of something like this where a man who should know better abuses his power over somebody. There are some lines in the verses like, and you swear you didn't know, no wonder why you didn't ask. She was sleeping in your clothes, but now she's got to get to class. And then, does it keep you in control for you to keep her in a cage? And you swear you didn't know, you thought she was your age? The sheer agony in Billy's voice throughout the song fucking elevates it. And I think it is masterful in every facet. Anyone's been able to tell for years now that Billy is a fucking star, and she only continues to prove that. And I'm really excited for this new album. Boys of Fall dropped an acoustic rendition of their song Heavy Hearts, which was on their 2020 album called Distance. I just really wanted to talk about the song so that I can have an excuse to praise Boys of Fall, because I think they're one of the most overlooked bands in the scene today. I thought Distance was a really good record, and Heavy Hearts was one of the standouts off of it. So it's cool to get this acoustic version of the song. Although, admittedly, when the band teased this track, I initially believed that it was going to be an acoustic rendition of Overthinking, because the artwork for this song is the same as the artwork for Overthinking as a single, just with the color scheme inverted. And that's a little bit selfish of me, but I only say that because Overthinking was not only my favorite Boys of Fall song from last year, but also a top 25 song in general for 2020. But still, I I'm happy with Heavy Hearts getting the acoustic treatment. Climate Control dropped three-act structure, and this was my first time listening to this band. And I'm apparently one of the first overall to do so, despite the fact that their discography on Spotify goes back to 2013. They have less than a thousand listeners on there, and that's pretty fucked up because I thought this new single is really enjoyable. It, it explores a more pop-nature take on modern post-hardcore. This band does that sound very, very well. The chorus is explosive and energetic, and then the second verse takes the track into a more quiet direction that perfectly builds to the following chorus. There were just so many elements to this song that still managed to work cohesively. I thought this was a perfect song, and it's really a shame that so many people have not listened to it yet. Vermilion Rivers is the new single from Distant. One of the things I appreciate most about this platform is that it forces me to actively seek out projects 
every week to talk about here, and that has lit such a fire under my love for Deathcore. I've discovered some fucking great Deathcore acts over the last few months, and that's the case with Distant. This song is so fucking good. It's that exact style of just brutal Deathcore that is so easy for me to get into. And with this single came the announcement of a new album on June 11th called Aeons of Oblivion. Okay, well, it's sort of new. They're kind of doing what To The Grave did on Epilogue in the sense that this album is going to have two of their EPs, Dusk of Anguish and Dawn of Corruption. So only some of it's really new, but it's all new to me because I haven't listened to Distant outside of this one song. So that's something for me to definitely look forward to in June. I wish this podcast was around last year, so I could have talked about Hypa Hypa by Eskimo Callboy when it was brand new, and just completely taking over Metalcore Twitter and every other, like, social stratosphere, I guess, in the scene. But instead, I get to talk about this new version of Hypa Hypa, which features Saltadio Mortis. It's like a medieval take on Hypa Hypa. It's very strange and out there, but I did still like it. It's fun, and this song is off of a deluxe version of 2020, which was the EP that Hypa Hypa was on, and that EP is going to feature seven new versions of Hypa Hypa. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you have no idea what I'm talking about, I ask that you find the time to watch the music video for Hypa Hypa because it is a a, a fucking moment in time for this music scene that I can't really put into any more words. Good on this band for just milking Hypa Hypa for everything it's worth, because I would have done the same if I wrote that song. Galleons have a new single out called Playing With Fire Is Such A Cliché. This is the fourth single from their self-titled album that releases on May 14th. This song stretches the already impressive singles run that this band has been on. And I don't say that with the notion that I'm surprised, because I've always believed Galleons to be a good band. But I feel like this self-titled album, at least from what we've heard so far, has the potential to take Galleons into the realm of being a great band. Playing with Fire is such a cliche is all over the place in the best way imaginable. It feels like, and maybe I say this about a lot of songs on this show, but it feels like a throwback to old post-hardcore while still retaining the more contemporary style that core has evolved into. Galleons can be major this month, and you love to see it. Garbage dropped No Gods, No Masters. This is the second single from the album of the same name, which is out on June 11th. The first single for this record, The Men Who Rule the World, I was slightly harsh toward back when I reviewed it on this show, but this new single is a massive fucking step forward. This song is so good. It is a pop rock anthem come to life and incorporates what, at least to me, felt like elements from every era of pop rock that has ever surfaced. It's catchy and emphatic in its delivery. Not once in its runtime was I bored or questioned why A garbage song in 2021 was so good, I just let it be and ended up receiving one of my favorite songs from all of last week. The single did a lot in making me believe that there might actually be some substance to the No Gods No Masters album next month, and it'll be well worth checking out once it drops. Genius X9, who I had not heard of prior to last week, 
has a new single featuring grandson called Feelings, and it's fucking incredible. Alternative Electronic Rock, or whatever you want to call it, has the ability to sound its best whenever grandson is involved in a project, but Genius X9 really took me aback with this song. I thought he sounded great and provided a flawless contrast to grandson's vocals. The production on Feelings gave it a real mainstream vibe. Like, I could totally imagine hearing this song on radio because of how accessible it is while still being so good. The entire backing track is infectious and never came across as repetitive, even if it literally is that. I have nothing but good things to say about a lot of the singles from last week, yet this one still acted as a standout. Hunter Oliveri dropped his second single of the year so far, Lonesome. This follows Afterglow, which dropped back in February and still stands as one of my favorite songs of 2021 up to this point. That made me really eager to hear Lonesome, and it's seriously amazing. I try not to be surprised when teenagers show that they're capable of making great music, but it's still startling to know that Hunter is like 15 or 16. Lonesome's verses built up the choruses to perfection. There's a sense of tiredness, for lack of a better word, in Hunter's voice that really lends itself to this type of alternative music. He's a star, dude. I haven't heard a bad song from him so far, and I'm excited for whatever he does in the future. And as far as I'm concerned, Hunter Oliveri is already a proven entity. I Know Where You Live, which is a great name for a project, by the way, released what looks to be his second single called Cape Life. And I had to do some research to find out who's even behind this act. Uh, apparently, it's Sean Lopez, the guitar player for Far and Crosses who also has some producing credits for the likes of Deftones, Lupe Fiasco, Whitechapel, and Seosin, just name a few. So this is someone who's done more than just some various projects in music, and knowing that, it makes sense why Cape Life sounds like this perfectly crafted and produced work of art that is both captivating and eerie all at the same time. Like, many of the production choices are borderline creepy, and work in creating this dreadful atmosphere. This song is weird, but so fucking cool, and I quite enjoy this project. Jarvis Johnson has a new single out called One Night. I think this is his first single since the Can You Feel My Heart remix that he did with Bring Me The Horizon. So because that song made me aware of what Jarvis' style and sound is, I had no reason to not listen to the single, and, and while I will say that, lyrically, this song does not outshine the vast majority of what I'm talking about today, it, he sounds great singing these lines. And, and from a production standpoint, this song's effectiveness can't really be denied. So maybe this is the weakest single being covered on this episode, but I still think it's worthy of praise, and I did ultimately like it. Josh A. and Gucci Highwaters collaborated on the song Anxious, and just from the names involved, this song was a dub from the second it was announced. These are two artists who are showcasing their proficiency in the emo hip-hop scene every chance they get. And together, they delivered such an effective collaboration that only adds to what were already rich discographies for the both of them. Like, they each carry their own weight, and it seemingly all builds to the final minute where Gucci Highwaters gets his verse in, 
before the track returns to Josh A to deliver the last chorus. And it's a chorus that is so catchy and infectious and ties every concept explored here together. Uh, this was really an excellent collaboration and I, I want to hear more from both artists throughout the rest of the year, even if Gucci Highwaters only just put out a new album back in January. Jutes has another new single called Fuck Your Boyfriend, and I could get really toxic about that song title, but I'll just leave it alone right now and stick to talking about the music. Um, this song actually does have a different vibe and feel to any of the other singles that Jutes has put out recently. Those songs were hip-hop with pop influences, whereas I feel like Fuck Your Boyfriend dives more into pop-punk than any other genre, and his take on that sound is just as stellar as anything else he's done up to this point. I, I really feel like I say this every week on this show, but this might be my favorite Jute song. It's definitely the most different, and even with that change in direction for just one song, Jutes is still leaps and bounds ahead of almost every other solo artist that I can think of in the alternative scene right now. Landless have a brand new song out called Borrowed Time. This was my second experience with this band after their single from back in February called Nobody. Ultimately, I think I feel stronger about that song. Actually, I, I don't think I know I do. Borrow Time is a heavier song and is very much so modern metalcore, but it's still another successful outing from Landless. The instrumentation here is great, and the vocals wrap themselves around it with the kind of prowess from a veteran band and not one that is still relatively inexperienced. In some areas of this song, I would even say that it has an arena feel to its delivery. The chorus in particular is huge, and it's just about begging to have a crowd sing along to it. Landless are pretty much doing everything right up to this point, and I'd really like to believe that their debut album will be released this year. Their Spotify bio says it will, but in the age of the pandemic, who really knows anything? Lights. Let's talk about lights. A fucking godsend to music. I could spend an entire episode talking about lights, and you know what? Maybe I will someday. But for this episode, my only requirement is to talk about her new single, Beside Myself. God, man, this is perfect. It was never not going to be perfect, because it's fucking lights. From the second that this song starts, the atmosphere is established with the backing track that only grows in effectiveness as lights progresses through the song. Her vocal work is as fluid as it's ever been. Like, nearly halfway through the song, the rest of the backing track fully comes in, and even when Beside Myself turns into a pop song, it still contains the massively vibrant atmosphere that had been set during the first minute and a half or so of this track. It's like the song only gets louder and louder as lights build to the final minute, and then the song scales everything back and it's suddenly quiet again, and lights, even when she sounds like she's given her entire soul to the song, still manages to deliver her final lines before the song fades out. I fucking loved Beside Myself. I, I love everything Lights does. This girl doesn't know how to miss. She never has. She never will. It's lights. Let's fucking go. We got two new Like Monster Flame songs. 
These are B-sides from No Eternity in Gold, which was their album from last October. I'll start with Basilisk. This song starts off in as heavy a manner as any other song from that record before going into a really cool verse where the instrumentation is scaled back, yet all of the pieces are still in place for the song to be so raw and dark in its sound and nature. The chorus to Basilisk would have been one of my favorite moments on No Eternity in Gold had the song made the record. The other track is Inherit the Tragedy, which wasted no time in getting started, since it's just a wall of sound accompanied by Chris Roder's screams the second you press play on it. This is another massive song that, along with Basilisk, really reminded me just how good No Eternity in Gold is. I definitely don't think I gave that album the proper attention since it dropped the same day as Post-Human Survival Horror by Bring Me the Horizon. I definitely want to revisit it soon. Like Moss of Flames are so good, and they have been for a long time now. Lil Skies dropped the single My Baby, which is off of the upcoming deluxe edition of his album from back in January called Unbothered. I'll be completely honest, for as much as I like Lil Skies, this album somehow went unnoticed by me. I'm working on getting every album from January, February, and March that I listen to reviewed for social media, but rather than just put Unbothered in there and pretend that I listened to it back when it dropped, I'll review the deluxe edition on May 14th and treat it like it's a brand new album. But circling back to My Baby, this song is really cool. It's more pop-inspired than a lot of songs I've heard from Lil Skies, or at least in the choruses. Like, it kind of sounds straight from a hip-hop radio station in the early to mid-2000s, but it works, and I'm not taking anything away from it. Zavia Ward is featured on this track, and I thought her voice really excelled in adding a dimension that isn't always there on Lil Sky songs. So here's a sentence that you can't say on scene Twitter without starting an argument. Let's talk about Machine Gun Kelly. Last week, MGK released the song Love Race, which features Kellen Quinn, who is the vocalist of Sleeping With Sirens. This is their third song they've collaborated on, at least to my knowledge. The other two were in 2013, MGK was on Sleeping With Sirens' song, Alone, and then Kellen was on MGK's cover of Swing Life Away by Rise Against. Those were pretty good, I thought. And then in their return to one another eight years later, Love Race is really fucking good. I loved everything about this song, and I say that as someone who hasn't been overly favorable of most material from both MGK and Sleeping With Sirens as of late. This is one of the more effective pop-punk songs from MGK, and in Kellen's sections, he's in a range where it sounds like he's channeling the version of himself from 10 years ago. Like, this is If You Can't Hang Kellen, through and through, at least in my mind. The song is super catchy, it showcases every strength of both MGK and Kellen, and it's just overall, in my opinion, really fucking excellent. Mallory Run have a new single called Oh Normalcy. To be honest, when I first looked at the title and band name for the song, I mistook it for Mallory Knox and I was like, oh shit, they're back. But then I realized it wasn't, though I still listened to the song and I'm glad I did because I really enjoyed it. It's post-hardcore that lingers more into the realm of emo and alternative, uh, like something maybe like movements, but 
not as bleak in its sound. Or, actually, I say that, but in the closing moments of this song, it gets noticeably darker in its atmosphere. And it was one of those moments where I was like, is this the same song I've been listening to? Not that the song is cheerful at any point in its duration, but the ending was just noticeably eerie. And that was the final stamp on this song's potency. Midgar released their newest single called Sunburn. This is set to be on the upcoming album Unity, which drops June 25th. I'll say this now. There is only one song I'm talking about today that I listened to more than this one over the last week. Midgar had a single toward the end of 2020 called We Don't Make the Rules, and it irritated me that it only existed for two weeks of the year, because had it been released sooner, it would have been one of my top singles for 2020. Nemesis followed, and I thought it was good, but not as good as We Don't Make the Rules. And now, the band put out Sunburn, and holy shit, I am absolutely infatuated with this track. The instrumentation is so curious, in the sense that there are moments that sound like acoustic and electric guitars are being fused together. There are violins thrown into this shit as well. It's like Midgar just threw a bunch of stuff at the wall and somehow painted a fucking masterpiece with that tactic. It's definitely not as heavy as the other two songs from Midgar that I mentioned. So with that in mind, this band proved to be proficient in multiple sectors of alternative music. And knowing that now, I'm even more eager to listen to Unity than I already was. Mobreach released Made to Fall, which is a new single from their May 14th album called Why No Why. I think when I started this song, the instrumentation kind of gave me an idea of what it would sound like. It, it just had some like, I, I don't know, commercial sound? Like a literal commercial for a TV show or something. Then it went through these different phases to break away from my assumptions, which I appreciated. It didn't sound like anything else I reviewed this year. And once I got into the first chorus, that was where the buildup made sense, and the realization allowed me to enjoy said chorus. The second time that chorus came around, it sounded even more complete. This was a cool track to, like, journey through and experience the different elements that made up Made to Fall. There are some other singles from this record out right now, but I would rather wait until I review the full album in two weeks before listening to them. Nefex dropped their latest single called Are You Okay? I I'm not okay, personally, but this song was more than okay. It has an uncredited feature from Georgia Koo, who is the first voice you hear immediately when you start the track. I thought she did an immaculate job with this song, and then the verses kind of reminded me of something from, like, NF, which I didn't mind at all. I thought all the pieces needed to make this a memorable electronic pop song were utilized to just about perfection. This song came so close to making it into Scenic Overlook, which is the thing I do on social media every Sunday, where I rank my 10 favorite songs from the week. Super catchy, such a vibe, I adored everything about Are You Okay? No Love from the Middle Child premiered his new single, Older, which features Set It Off. That feature doesn't lie, honestly. This really does sound like something I'd expect from Set It Off. Um, this was a good song. It was my introduction to No Love for the Middle Child, but I fuck with what he's doing. 
This song does have a formulaic pop rock feel to it, but I think everyone involved here has an understanding of how to take that formula and craft something tremendous out of it. Really easy to get into, it's not hard to nod your head to the chorus every time it comes in, just a, a very well-rounded song all in all. Bad Dreams is the latest single from Olive Amon, who is getting ready to release his debut EP called Don't Leave Yet. I think it's due sometime in May, although I couldn't find an exact date for this. But it is something that I'm going to have to pay attention to because I really enjoyed this song. Bad Dreams at its core is a pretty straightforward indie song that does switch things up when it comes to the execution of every section. What I mean by that is that the verses are energetic and full of life, whereas the chorus really scales everything back and slows down the pace to create this weird, vibrant atmosphere that isn't found anywhere else on the track. But Olive's voice was constant throughout every bit of this song and didn't change no matter how the instrumentation around him sounded. It was like the sonic version of just pushing through your day no matter what it is that's happening that may or may not be of convenience to you. And I don't know if that element of storytelling was intentional, but it exists nonetheless on this song and I was very much so a fan of it. Scarlett O'Hara thankfully didn't make their fans wait more than a handful of years for more music from them like they did the last time. They dropped Friction last Friday, and what I was just referencing was the fact that their only two albums came out in 2010 and 2018. So it's good to see Scarlett O'Hara come back in a much shorter time frame than what elapsed between their two projects, especially since Friction makes me really curious as to what the future of this band sounds like. This is quite the departure from what they were doing previously, but at the same time, it's really just the same transition that other metalcore bands have already made, where they favor a more radio-friendly sound. I saw a tweet the other day that said that this is Bring Me the Horizon's fault, which it probably is, I'm not, I'm not going to deny that. It's not their fault, though, whenever a band fails at that sound. Scarlett O'Hara didn't fail, though. I really liked this song and, and thought it retained some heaviness in certain areas of its delivery. I, I can't recall hearing a single scream in the song, which is fine. I I'm not one of those weirdos who needs everything to be metalcore all the fucking time, but whatever. Like I said, I'm curious what this band sounds like moving forward, and I I'm rooting for them because it it's just so cool to see a band from South Texas representing the scene. Scarlord has yet another new single, this time it's Hate Me Then. I've kind of said my piece about Scarlord on other episodes, so I won't take too much time with this song. Scarlord sometimes runs into the issue of feeling stagnant in his concepts, but the last two or three singles have been some of my favorite songs he's put out recently. Hate Me Then has this really bouncy feel to his production, and Scarlord's screams sound as clean as they always do. Really good song, and I'm really into the consistency I've seen from him on these latest singles. Secret Keeper put out No More Flowers, which features Kelsey Gray from the band Fior. A little more than half of this song is acoustic, but it's done in a manner that is slightly different from what you would expect from acoustic songs in the emo realm to sound like. I don't really know how to explain it, but I could just hear some extra life in the instrumentation, Despite that aspect literally being minimal, the acoustic section went on for so long 
that I really thought the whole song would be like that. So when the rest of the band came in, it was a little bit startling, but very quickly I became accustomed to, with Secret Keeper's delivery, and the track sounds like it's disintegrating for just a little bit near the end, especially for the few short seconds where there's screaming implemented. The song goes back to its acoustic ways near the end of the runtime, and all in all, I thought this was a really effective song that successfully got me interested in Secret Keeper. I haven't heard anything else from them, but I totally plan to once I have the time. I'm about to completely gush over a band, and I don't apologize for that at all. CU Space Cowboy released their single, Painting a Clear Picture from an Unreliable Narrator. This is off of the split EP with If I Die First, called A Sure Disaster, which is out on May 14th. I really don't know if you'd consider CU Space Cowboy to be metalcore or hardcore, or, or some combination of the two. But no matter what genre label anyone wants to throw onto Sea Space Cowboy, I am of the belief that they are one of the best bands in the world. Their 2019 album, The Correlation Between Entrance and Exit Wounds, is one of my favorite albums of all time, and probably would have been my record of the year for 2019 had it not been for Bring Me the Horizons Amo. I've been desperately waiting for some new material from this band, and I couldn't be any happier with how this song turned out. A, a while back, Connie, who's the vocalist for this band, tweeted something about CU Space Cowboy having mall choruses in new songs, and that's exactly what happened here. She incorporated clean singing into her act, which wasn't present on the correlation between entrance and exit wounds, but holy shit, y'all. She sounds so fucking good. This song is heavy and gripping and genuinely just perfect altogether. See You Space Cowboy need to someday be the biggest band in whatever their genre is actually called. Okay, here we go. The number one song in Scenic Overlook last week. Spirit Box released their newest single, Circle With Me, which one can only assume will be on their album that may or may not be out this year. There's not really confirmation on that, I think. For anyone who might not know, Spirit Box is 100% the most hyped band in the entire alternative scene right now. They don't have an album out yet, but the amount of people who completely fucking adore them is so uncharacteristic for a band with as little material out as they have. And there's a reason for that. If this band just they, they just have it fucking down. They know exactly what they're doing. I'm, I'm not going to say that Spirit Box can't do anything wrong, because I, I, I think of course they can. Any band can do wrong at any point. There's no such thing as a perfect band, in my opinion. There are only bands that reach closer to perfection than others. Spirit Box fit in that category, and that's only further realized on a song like Circle With Me, because this is an insane track. Courtney Laplante is by far one of the most talented vocalists in the world right now. She's not screaming when it's not necessary, just like she knows when a song demands something beyond her incredibly enchanting cleans. Circle With Me has a melodic element that I don't really think was there on any prior Spirit Box song. It's the most straightforward rock song they've ever written, but even in saying that, I don't believe this is a straightforward rock song. It's just Spirit Box's take on something like that, and, and they can still do
do it while sounding like nobody else. I, I do have some other thoughts about this band that I don't know how to articulate and argue just yet, so I'm going to keep them to myself for now, but I do want to close out this song's review by saying that so far, Spearbox have done everything right, and it is truly a fucking joy to watch this band build themselves into something special. The song Death Wish is the product of a collaboration I didn't see coming, which was Stand Atlantic and Nothing Nowhere. Stan Atlantic's most recent album isn't even that old. It dropped back in August, but they've already moved forward and delivered a song that is absolutely in the upper echelon of what they've ever crafted. It, it's quite different from anything on that record. It has the dark feel that you'd expect from a Nothing Nowhere song, but the way that Stan Atlantic navigate that sound is impressive as fuck. And the band sound so rejuvenated on here, and I say that without even believing that they needed to be rejuvenated. Nothing Nowhere fucking nailed his verse and really contributed to helping Stan Atlantic figure out one of the best songs of their careers. It's so catchy and just makes sense despite having so many unconventional elements. Or at least elements that were unconventional for Stan Atlantic. Starset just about made my week with their new single called Infected. This was meant to mark the two-year anniversary of Arknights, which is like a tower defense game. It didn't make me want to play that game, it just made me want to listen to the song over and over again because I fucking loved it. Starset have been one of my favorite bands of the last few years. I think they just control the alternative rock genre in a way that very, very few bands have ever been capable of. They understand their personas to the point of perfection, and, like, their songs do mirror the space themes that their presentation possesses. And Infected achieves all of that by feeling like this fucking mega rock space opera anthem at times. Not only one of the best songs from last week, but one of the best songs of 2021 so far. I will never, ever get tired of Star Set just flexing on the rest of the scene and continuously proving why they're one of the best bands going today. I cannot express how badly I want more music from Starset this year. The Main put out an acoustic cover of Thanks for the Memories by Fall Out Boy, which kind of fucks up the flow of their singles rollout for their album in July, but whatever. It's not a big deal because this song's release was meant to coincide with the anniversary of that viral picture of Pete Wentz walking down the street with Bruno Mars in the background looking starstruck. Um, and, and aside from that, there's not much for me to say, because it's a cover, and I'm assuming everyone listening to this podcast already has heard Thanks for the Memories at some point in their lives. If you want to listen to a pretty good and harmless cover, then definitely check this out. I would suggest any of the main's original material over this, but still, it, it was good, and, and I liked it. Choker is the second single from 21 Pilots' new album, Scaled and Icy, out on May 21st. I talked about the first single, Shy Away, a few weeks ago, and I noted how different it sounded from anything 21 Pilots had done previously. This song keeps that trend going because I really didn't expect it to sound like what it does. It goes through a couple of different phases, and initially the verses and choruses have this stark contrast between one another. Like, the verses are so 
upbeat and energetic in their conveyance of this band's pop tones, whereas the chorus feels like you're in space and everything is moving in slow motion. And that specific sound kind of evolves throughout the song before circling back to something near the end that is a bit more familiar to 21 Pilots, specifically from Blurry Face and Vessel. I don't know what to expect going into this album, but I'm actually really fucking excited for it. I mentioned Travis Barker at the start of the show and how he was featured on some of the songs I'm talking about today. Uh, the first one was Love Race from MGK and Kellen Quinn, and the other is Transparent Soul by Willow, as in Willow Smith. I say her name, and whatever that makes you believe this song sounds like, it fucking doesn't. What Willow crafted here is an alternative rock song akin to something from the 90s. Like, this is such a fucking cool song, and sounds nothing like anything else I'm reviewing today. It reminded me of the opening song to Serial Experiments Lane, which I don't know if anyone listening to this knows what that is. It's an anime whose opening song was the first thing I thought of when I heard Transparent Soul. Willow sounds incredible throughout the whole song, and especially in the chorus, where she just belts out the line, Transparent soul, I can see right through, just so you know. Willow just fucking flipped the entire scene onto its head, and that was to the benefit of us all, because I have not been able to stop listening to this song. It is incredible, and I really, really hope to hear more from Willow in the future that is along the lines of Transparent Soul. Watch for Wolves dropped Never Better, which is their fourth single as of now. I don't think any of these songs are attached to any projects, they just exist as singles for right now, which is fine because I think they're all immaculate. Never Better sees Watch for Wolves continue to explore a throwback style of post-hardcore while still implementing modern elements. Ultimately, I think I'm still higher on the first single, Guilty by Dissociation, but Never Better is right next to that track. In some instances, this feels like two different songs whenever it switches between clean and screaming vocals, but not in a way that, like, disorients the cohesion of the track. It's a little bit weird to explain, but it just works in utilizing those sounds, and that's very much so characteristic of this style of post-hardcore from the past. Watchful Wolves are really one of the coolest young bands out there right now, and I can only hope that more people catch on to that sooner than later. The last single for today is You'd Be Paranoid 2 If Everyone's Out to Get You by Waterparks. This is their fourth single for their album Greatest Hits, which releases May 21st. So I'm assuming that this is the final single, but I don't fucking know what Waterparks are thinking most of the time. This song fits right in with their identity because the delivery of the chorus is so extra and aggravating and really exemplifies, like, one of the reasons why I think people turn away from this band because of just how self-aware the members, and specifically Austin Knight, are. Like, he just leans right into it and knows how to use his voice to that effect. It's really cool, though, and I admire Waterparks for that, among many other reasons. And still, this song is really catchy and has such a cool energy to it, and I'm really looking forward to hearing the rest of Greatest Hits. Okay, so now that all of the singles are done, I'm moving on to the EPs and albums. Only six in total today, so this shouldn't take much longer. 
Hurtwave released their debut EP, Therapy Session 1. Hurtwave is a side project of Dayseeker members Roy Rodriguez and Mike Carl. Really, there's only one new song here? Hurtwave did this thing that's not exclusive to them, but it is a bit aggravating whenever bands do this. They put out new songs sporadically over the last year, and then it got to a point where they were like, here's one more new song, and that completes this EP. So all but one song here I had already heard prior to last Friday, but I haven't reviewed any of them on this show, so this is still relatively new content, I suppose. Sever was the first song anyone heard from Hurtwave, and, and it really remains one of my favorite songs they've ever done. I think Hurtwave take the more melodic elements of Dayseeker and just wraps them in this blanket of pop and synthwave. Songs like Bleach and Fever Dream only further establish that point. My Father Said was the only song on this EP that I wasn't really into, but I expected that since it hadn't grown on me from when it was a single. New Year's Eve and Black and Blue continue cementing what I already said about pop and synthwave, especially the latter since it has such a danceable chorus. Overdose, which was the only new song last Friday, has a really similar vibe to it while expressing depressing tones lyrically to contradict the upbeat nature of the instrumentation. This song actually features Landon Tours from The Plot in You, which really caught me by surprise because it's uncredited. I had a moment where I was like, yo, is that my boy Landon on this shit? I don't know if anyone's ever seen this video, but when DJ Academics reacted to Astral by Travis Scott and he heard Drake on sicko mode, he fucking lost his shit, and that's similar to how I reacted to hearing Landon on this song. And then the track contained a line that really stuck with me near the end of it. If I have to lose what I love most, I will overdose. And I think that's a good summarization of what Therapy Session 1 gets across lyrically. This is a record for the hurt, and for those who want to find comfort in knowing that there's at least one person who has dealt with what they have or currently are. It's not a perfect EP, but I really fucking enjoyed the time I spent with it. Action and Adventure have a brand new EP out called Pulling Focus. This ventures into the realm of Easycore, which is just a, a weird way of saying that it's pop punk with some hardcore attributes. Similar to early A Day to Remember and Four Years Strong, if anyone needs a slightly deeper explanation for what I'm trying to get across. I, I fucking loved everything about this EP. I thought the songs were flawless in their execution, and there's enough of a connective thread throughout all of them, but they each stand out on their own. The intro song, Barricades, acting as the build-up to Poser was massively done in my opinion. And Poser is so catchy, and hits with every punch that it was meant to. Club 27 achieved similar feats, and really felt like the proper follow-up to Poser, since they share some similar sonic tones. Semi-Prologue took a bit of a different approach instead of diving into fast-paced elements structurally, and it was made better for that, I believe. It really might be my favorite song in the whole EP. Tuck Everlasting did something similar, and that's where I started to notice that these songs kinda acted in pairs, omitting barricades because it was just an intro. Like, Poser, Club 27, those songs had similar feels, and then so did Semi-Prologue and Tuck Everlasting, and then so did Nothing Left and Pulling Focused, both of which kind of feel like 
combinations of the four prior songs. So the track listing has purpose in its ordering, and I think that just added to how well this EP flows. It feels like every song worked in unison to lead the listener into what was coming next. Action Adventure legitimately outdid themselves on this release, and I've gone back to it so many times because it's so fucking easy and rewarding to get through. Okay, now onto the four albums. And like I've done before, I'm going to start with my least favorite of the group and then progress toward my most favorite. Tetrarch released their new album, Unstable. This is the follow-up to 2017's Freak, which I admittedly haven't listened to yet. So this new record was my introduction to Tetrarch, and I want to start by saying that I completely understand what their intentions are with their sound. And to their credit, I think they have new metal or new metalcore down perfectly. They know exactly what they want to be, and I imagine that there are listeners out there who adore them for mastering that specific sound. In certain areas of this record, I, I would consider myself to be sold on Tetrarch. My favorite song on here, Negative Noise, immediately gave me Slipknot vibes, but while ensuring me that this was a unique take on that style by Tetrarch. That song is great, and I have nothing but good things to say about tracks like that one, and I'm Not Here, and You Never Listen, just to name a few. I know I said that there were Slipknot vibes, but I also heard bits of Korn, and even Tala, who had an album last year that explored similar sonic characteristics. Uh, but, but then there were songs like Unstable and Take a Look Inside, which I want to reiterate what I said earlier. I understand what their intentions are when navigating this sound, but as someone who has his reservations about new metal, I couldn't immerse myself in everything presented here by Tetrarch. I know there are people out there who love every song on this record, and, and all the power to them, but I'm not one of those consumers. Not everything on here was meant for me, and that's fine. I can still appreciate the tracks on Unstable that I thought were really good, and believe me, they do exist, I just named a few of them. For an introduction to this band, I was not turned away by Tetrarch. If anything, it made me want to continue to pay attention to them, because I feel like they'll progress into an exceptionally talented band. I was ultimately fine with this album, and I would for sure recommend it to anyone who enjoys new metal. Gojira put out their seventh album, Fortitude. Had it not been for the pandemic, I might have seen Gojira live last year. They were going to support Deftones in the fall along with Poppy. I was maybe going to go primarily to see Poppy because I didn't have a ton of interest in seeing Gojira and Deftones, but I can't imagine either band putting on a bad show, so it, it would have been cool to see them. But, you know, pandemic. So going into this album, I definitely didn't consider myself to be a fan of Gojira. I had heard their last album, Magna or something like that? I can't remember exactly the name of it, I just know that it started with an M, but I heard it and wasn't too thrilled with it. I thought it sounded good, but it just wasn't particularly for me, so I definitely listened to this new record just for the sake of content on here, and also because it didn't make sense for me to overlook a relatively big release, and I ended up being quite happy that I listened to this album because it's pretty fucking good. It has its faults, sure, 
I, I thought the song The Chant was notably boring and was just not for me. Another World and Sphinx also didn't particularly excite me, but everything else I either liked or loved. The opener, Born for One Thing, has a real groove to its instrumentation that I can absolutely appreciate because it sounds great and is the perfect accompaniment for the vocals. The fourth song, Hold On, does something similar midway through, which sort of juxtaposes the acapella intro. I would say I feel similarly about this album to a band called Ghost, who also have a style of metal that I don't usually gravitate toward, but I ended up enjoying. Into the Storm's chorus was one of my favorite moments on the whole record. It was just so, like, melodic and moving in a weird way. The Trails was, in my opinion, the best song on Fortitude, while also being one of the more different ones since it's very tame in its delivery, or at least when compared to the other songs on here. Like I said, I didn't necessarily expect much from this album, so I got way more than I thought I would. Fortitude was good, and while it doesn't really make me want to listen to prior Gojira records, I am more than happy living with this as my experience with them. Crown Magnetar released their debut album, The Codex of Flesh. What this album succeeded in was continuing the trend of my coming across deathcore bands I had never heard of before, and then proceeding to just completely be floored with how incredible I think they sound. And that was evident just a few seconds into the opening song, Full Spectrum Hatred. That song is like deathcore personified, or at least just within the confines of what lures me into the genre. Black Lotus was the only song I had listened to prior to Friday, and it was just as impactful on this record as it was as a single. I think every song here knew exactly what it needed to be and really used every necessary second to instill in listeners the identity of Crown Magnetar. Now, as I say that, I want to emphasize the word identity. That was the single lone issue I had with the Codex of Flesh. I really, really liked every song here. I thought they were perfect. Each breakdown and blast beat and scream and every other attribute you'd associate with deathcore lent themselves to the undeniability, if that's even a word, of these songs. However, I realized after finishing the record that I was having some trouble remembering which songs were which. And that's because I don't think that on at least the first listen, each song crafted their own identity. After more listens, it became evident, but after hearing the album for the first time, I was like, oh shit, which song was Icon of Sin? And which song was Deciphering? And, and so that's where the score of 9.5 came in. I thought each song was great, but not immediately distinguishable, and I don't want to say that's just the way the deathcore genre works, because I know that's not true. Plenty of deathcore records successfully gave their songs unique identities, and that's what separates a great album from a perfect album. I still fucking loved The Codex of Flesh, but that was one grievance that I couldn't overlook. Lastly, Royal Blood released their third album, Typhoons. Unlike bands I mentioned earlier like Gojira and Tetrarch, I was actually entirely familiar with Royal Blood and their discography. I had already listened to their two prior albums, Self-Titled and How Did We Get So Dark. I liked them, 
but maybe didn't love them. They didn't do a lot to stick with me outside of certain songs like Little Monster and Lights Out. So going into Typhoons, I already knew that this was going to be vastly different than the other albums. The singles like Boilermaker and Limbo already made that clear. This was going to be Royal Blood trying their hand at something more pop-oriented, and I didn't imagine them failing at this because I thought the singles were good, but I just didn't know how I would receive a full album of songs like that. And what ended up happening was I practically fell in love with Typhoons. For 10 of the 11 songs here, I believed that this was a perfect record. Trouble's Coming is the opener, and I already knew I liked it from when I heard it last year. And then the album went into Oblivion, which was brand new to me, and the sheer energy and danceability to its nature was a reaffirmation that Royal Blood knew exactly what they were doing venturing down this path. Who Needs Friends introduced some slight rock elements that were familiar to Royal Blood's previous sound, but that fusion of the two sounds was done with such commendable prowess. Track 7, Either You Want It, ended up being my favorite song on the whole record. Its instrumentation and rhythm is like, offbeat and so awkward while still managing to tie everything together and the whole track just makes perfect sense by its first chorus. The final song, All We Have Now, was where the album slightly lost me. I can always appreciate when a band slows things down for a piano ballad, but on a record with vibes like Typhoon's, I just didn't think it was exactly necessary. The album, in my opinion, would have benefited from finishing with Hold On, but, you know, it's not a death sentence by any means for the record. This was still a spectacular work of art from Royal Blood, and one that took me by surprise, even if I expected to like it. And that was everything. That's going to do it for this episode, and I physically feel in a weird state right now, because... Like, my hands are tingling for whatever reason, and my head feels kind of, like, lightheaded, I guess. Like, it, it's not normal nor okay for me to be talking for as long as I do on these episodes. But, like, with all that in mind, my voice is relatively fine. It, it, it's raspy, sure, but I don't feel like it's going out like it normally does. Maybe that's because I'm drinking fucking water instead of beer like I normally do when recording these shits. So... Yeah, I should probably drink water more often while I talk. Th that's something that I want everybody to do, actually. Drink more water. If you're listening to this, drink water. If you already did, I don't give a fuck. Drink more water. Um, I have ideas for some additional content. L like, recently I had an Instagram poll where I asked people if they wanted an episode about my 20 favorite bands ever or an episode about retro album reviews. The, the, the fucking poll was tied in the end, so it didn't really matter. I, I intend on doing both of those concepts, though, and I'm probably going to start with retro reviews, just because I have more of that figured out than I do the 20 Favorite Bands episode. So, you know, maybe that'll come to fruition soon, maybe it'll take a little bit of time, I don't really know. Uh, the weekly episode is my main priority, so I'm going to make sure that I get these out before I do any special episodes. Um, But yeah, that's kind of just you know, what's going on right now with this platform. Um, if, if you're not following on Twitter and Instagram, I would please kindly ask that you do, because there's a lot of work that goes into 
the content on those accounts, and, and I would really, really like for more people to see them. So, yeah, that's kind of everything that I had to say, and I will go ahead and let everyone else go now. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And, as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.